What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a podcast we call At The Buzzer. I'm your host, Gary Niffin. This is episode 35 of At The Buzzer. Today, I will be giving my reactions to the first week of action in the NBA and also giving you my top five list of all-time ball handlers. First off, let's start here. The LA Clippers are the real deal, people. Yes, the LA Clippers, at this point in time, are as good as anyone in the league. Now, it's funny because this whole episode, the whole theme to this episode is to not overreact. We're at the most four games in. That's the most games any of these teams that I'm going to be talking about have played. Four games. 82-game season. Not going to overreact. That being said, got to do with the information what we can. And I've watched Clippers games. I'm looking at stats. Obviously, anything can change for any of these teams, and they could fall apart. But this is a league where we judge based off what we're currently seeing. And I know they lost to Phoenix. But this LA Clipper team is very, very good. They're deep. They've got guys that can come off the bench and produce for long stretches of time. Guys like a Mo Harkless. Landry Shamit's been playing in the starting lineup, but has been playing very good. I don't even got to talk about Lou Will and Montrez Harrell. The Clippers have four guys in double figures. Two of them are off the bench. And those two that are off the bench are averaging 20 a game each. Lou Will a little over 22, Montrez a little over 20. And then you've got Kwai just absolutely dominating, bringing it all together. Oh, Oh yeah, and let's not let's not forget about, you know, one of the 10 to 12 best players in the entire world, Paul George is also on their team that hasn't played yet. And now I'm hearing people talk about, well, maybe Paul George will ruin their chemistry. Now, now I get it. I get it. It's it's, you know, you you get worried about chemistry being mixed up with you know, new players entering, especially someone as good as a Paul George. But the way I look at it, Paul George's game fits perfectly. He can play off ball. He can play with the ball in his hand. He can spot up, shoot. He can cut. He can slash. He, he does all those things, so I don't see how it doesn't work when he joins with them. So now I'm going to – the rest of the segments today will have a little more of a – they'll either be lists or I'll be talking about multiple guys for one specific thing. But I just had to start out and let all you NBA fans know – my guys, the Los Angeles Clippers, are the real freaking deal. So be on the lookout. All right, uh, players of the week this week, Trey Young and Carl Anthony Towns. Trey averaged 38.5 points a game, 7 rebounds, 9 assists, while Cat really filled up the stat sheet, averaging 32 points a game, 13.3 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals, 2 blocks. Uh, his team went 3-0. and in the week that he won player of the week and Trey's team went 2 and 0 in the week that he won player of the week. Uh Cat had a PER of 40, which is just insane. Um it's all really interesting seeing how and obviously like I said, we're still really early. I'm not overreacting. I'm going to make sure I reiterate that a few times throughout the course here so nobody hears one of these, you know, sound bites and starts saying, "Wow, he's just freaking overreacting. He thinks every Okay, so I'm not doing all that. But, like I said, we're dealing with the information we've been given. So it's funny to see kind of my predictions I made last week, things I was thinking about, and how they played out. Uh, you guys know I was really high on the Hawks. I didn't have them making the playoffs. Um, like I said, no overreactions. But I I'm going to say I think they're going to squeeze in some way or somehow. I just think Trey is too good in year two. I think he's his skill set is too effective in the climate of today's NBA meaning with shooting being as important as it is having a point guard that runs the pick and roll elite like Trey Trey runs the pick and roll elite then you mix in the fact he's hit however many shots from the logo comfortably within the flow of a possession I just think he's going to be too impactful um, I think they're going to win I think they're going to win a good amount of games uh, he's definitely going to be an all-star because I just, unless, you know, barring injury, because I don't see how he's not going to put up the numbers to do it. And obviously, they could get cold, lose a bunch of games. Trey's not an all-star, but I, I don't see them losing a bunch of games. 
they're going to lose games. They'll be, you know, close to a 500 type team, I think. But I don't see them going on necessarily, you know, an eight game losing streak or things like that. I, I think they're young, but I think they have enough good vets. You've got Vince Carter, you've got Evan Turner, and their young guys are hungry and ready to win games now. Trey Young, John Collins, um, even DeAndre Hunter's come in and, and has played a big role early on as a rookie. And a guy like Jabari Parker's come in and has, has contributed, averaging 11.3 points per game as well. So, I mean, you've got. You've got guys that that can contribute for sure, but uh, I really like I like what I've seen from Trey so far. Cat, um, I mean, just just ridiculous. It's funny because the Timberwolves are another team. I wasn't really into the Timberwolves. I didn't I didn't think they would necessarily make a run at a playoff spot in this crowded Western Conference. I thought the Pelicans, and I thought uh, the Mavericks, obviously, and I thought. Um, uh, the Kings. Well, now the Kings and the Pelicans are 0-4. Like I said, I'm not overreacting. It's early, but if we're just basing things off so far, they struggled, and, and the Timberwolves are, you know, tied for first place in the Western Conference. So, you know, you can make so many predictions. You can try and study it, but certain things, it's basketball. That's why the sport's so amazing, because I can go into a season expecting all certain things to happen, and all it takes is one guy to have put in more work during the offseason or one of the guys I expected to be really good to have not put in the right work in the offseason, or a coach to get somewhere, word to Phoenix that turns things around and makes them start looking better. So there's a lot of things that can go in that now as the season's officially started, we're able to sort of see how certain additions, certain tendencies play out. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, which, you know, I don't have a huge podcast following, so I'm assuming if you listen to the podcast, you also follow me on Twitter, and you probably saw me say, I'm going to give myself about 20 games this year. I want to give myself 20 games before I start, you know, saying things are for sure. And that's a rough estimate. It could be 18. It could be, you know, somewhere in that range. But I want to get close to 20 games before I start sitting here saying, oh, this guy is this way for certain, or this team does these things good or does these things bad for certain, until I've seen that play out a little more. Um, so right now I'm just talking about certain tendencies I've seen in the first week, but not necessarily meaning just because I feel this way about them right now, this is how they're going to be for the entirety of the season. Uh, let's get into the stat leaders. Scoring leaders, Kyrie is averaging... 37.7 points per game, and Trey Young's averaging 34 points per game now. Uh, assists, Malcolm Brogdon's leading the league in assists with 10.7 assists a game. LeBron is in second with 10 a game. Rebounds, Andre Drummond is 16.3 rebounds a game. Goodness gracious. And Kevin Love is 15.7 rebounds a game. Dudes are eating glass over there. Uh, blocks, Anthony Davis, 3.3 blocks per game. And LaMarcus Aldridge is second with 2.7 blocks per game. Steals, Cat, and Jason Tatum are tied at first with three a game. Uh, guys that have just impressed me so far. Now, this doesn't mean necessarily I'm not going to pick the top five scoring leaders. I'm not going to pick, you know, maybe a, a LeBron James just because he's put up solid numbers or a James Harden because his scoring numbers are good. Uh, I've watched a lot of the games so far this year, so these are guys that are putting up all of them are putting up really good numbers, but it's also guys I've seen play and I was impressed in either, you know, where they're at in their prime or these some a lot of these guys are, you know, maybe up and coming. So I'm just impressed with how much they're they're turning things into what they're turning them into right now. Um guys that have just outright impressed me so far, just outright look like, you know, stars in this league type thing. Guys that have done that. Kyrie, 37.7 points per game, 5.7 rebounds, 6.3 assists, 1.7 steals. I mean, what can you say? He's carrying Brooklyn right now with no KD. I like uh, what I've seen in Brooklyn. They haven't won all their games or anything like that, but I, uh, I, I do think you've got a Kyrie that seems to be a little more engaged. Now, there is a report that came out today that Brooklyn is you know a little uneasy about Kyrie's emotional... Basically, how he'll kind of have emotional breakdowns, sort of. To sorry, that's not the nicest words for it, but that's essentially what came out of Brooklyn's camp today. Now, how real is all of that? <laughs> Who knows? You never know. But 
take that with what you will. Brooklyn's still concerned about it, but from the outside looking in, Kyrie seems to be more engaged. He seems to be far more happy playing in Brooklyn. So I, I think it's going to work, and especially once KD gets back, not saying that's this year, but in the future, I just think I think that's going to be a very, very good team, not just because KD is you know one of the best players in the world, but because Kyrie looks so good as the secondary guy when KD gets back. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's impressed me, obviously. I already kind of got into that, but just touch on his stats real quick. 27 points per game, 6.5 rebounds. This is the part that's been a huge improvement this year. I don't know if he'll keep it up for the entirety of the season, but I love this improvement in his game. 7.5 assists. That's ridiculous for a guy like Kawhi, who the one weakness in his game, you know, especially the last few years, Obviously, shooting and things like that early on were a weakness, but at this point, the only thing that really can get pointed out as a weakness in his game is his playmaking. I saw a tweet that came out when Kyrie or uh, when Kawhi was having one of his best passing games so far of the year. Somebody said, uh-oh, Kawhi learned to pass scary hours. Yes, very scary. If this guy's starting to pick apart defenses, not just by getting to the mid-range, raising up, knocking down shots like he's been doing so effortlessly... If he's also starting to do that on top of being able to dissect defenses, get guys open shots, get guys the easy looks, he's going to be really tough because he's already attracting so much attention due to his scoring ability that now if he knows how to pick defenses apart, we're starting to look at a whole different level of guy. And that's saying something considering this guy's just coming off a finals MVP and one of the best you know, single guy runs. Obviously, they had a great team around him but it's considered one of the more individually-led championship runs, kind of like the Dirk and Dallas thing. Um, so him coming off that and then being able to pass that way is a huge, huge deal. 1.8 steals, 1.2 blocks. Obviously, it's quiet getting it done on the defensive end of the court as well. Luka Doncic, 29.3 points per game, 10.3 boards, 7.3 assists, 2.3 steals. Uh, I mean, you guys heard me on it last year. He's just reasserting it. I think this is a guy that, is a possible best player in the world at some point in his career, if not a top three guy in the league you know, throughout his career. And then the fact you've matched him with a guy like Porzingis is so big time. I'll get into Dallas a little more later, but I love what I'm seeing from Luka. Pascal Siakam, 27.5 points per game, 10.2 rebounds, 3.5 assists. I told you guys I thought he was going to you know, take another jump this year. Early on, he's done that. He's shown he's ready to be the go-to guy in Toronto. Um doing it on both ends, playing defense well. But I, I love his skill set. I love watching him play because it's so different. He's lanky. He can shoot. He can do it off the dribble. But he also likes to go a lot of back-to-the-basket kind of stuff. So it's a fun blend. If you like seeing a guy really go into the toolbox, I think Pascal Siakam is a fun guy to watch because he can do a lot of different things on the court. Um, I know a lot of people aren't going to be watching a ton of Toronto games. But I would suggest if you have League Pass or if they're on you know, a nationally televised game, make sure you tune in and see the Raptors because Siakam is very fun. Um, you know, Fred Van, Viet, Fred Van Vliet has been playing well. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll see about Toronto. But I, I definitely like what I'm seeing from Siakam so far. Um, one thing I did want to touch on from last episode in regards to the Raptors is I predicted Fred Van Vliet as a six-man-of-the-year candidate. Um, he started all four games for them so far, so that might not be the case. Um, I just expected them to have him back up Lowry, considering they're both point guards. Uh, but Toronto's going with a double point guards uh, starting lineup, which is cool. Van Vliet's been playing well. He's got 18 points per game, 6.3 assists. Um, I'm bummed because if he was coming off the bench, he'd be he'd be right in the conversation for the uh, way too early six man of the year awards. Um, but again, Siakam playing great. Bi baby Brandon Ingram. Uh, it's funny because last time when I did my most improved player predictions, I was really tossing back and forth between. Ingram and Lonzo. Ingram and Lonzo. I wasn't gonna pick two guys from the same team, and I went with Lonzo. And four games into the season, three games into the season, it looks like I possibly have picked wrong because Brandon Ingram is averaging 27.2 points per game, 9.5 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 1.2 blocks. Now, 
I think those numbers definitely will cool down. And then I think they'll cool just from naturally cooling down. I think he's just, I don't think Brandon Ingram's a 27, 9, 4.8, 1.2 blocks kind of guy. I don't see him as that guy. Now, could he average 20 to maybe 22? Yeah, I think he could do that. But I definitely think he'll cool down, get closer to that. And then I think when Zion gets back, um, I don't think that'll hurt him too much, but I will think that'll take down his numbers just a tick. Uh, and the last one I'll talk about about guys who have impressed me. I don't mean to, you know, go with the most generic guy here, but Giannis. Giannis has been incredible, filling up the stat sheet. 24.3 points per game, which is under what he scored last year, but 13.3 rebounds, 9 assists a game, 1.3 steals, 1.7 blocks. What can you say about this guy? Um, you guys know he was my MVP pick. And so far, doing everything he needs to, to you know, be on track to do that again. Uh, these are guys that maybe didn't impress me the way some of these guys that are, you know, either stars or up-and-coming stars or superstars did. But these are the youngins to watch. Guys, early on, these young guys, I know Luca's only in year two, but Luca's so established, I can't even put him in that conversation. But these are youngins to watch. First or second year guys, I think you really should be on the lookout for that either have improved a lot going into year two or rookies that are doing what they're supposed to do, things like that. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is averaging 23.8 points per game, 6.8 rebounds, 3.2 assists. He's lanky, he's smooth, uh, and he's really getting to spread his wings in OKC. That's what I've liked most is he had a great rookie year last year with the Clippers being the starting point guard on an eight seed of just a bunch of role players. And he was the point guard of that as a rookie. I think people kind of overlooked it because maybe his numbers weren't off the charts, just so unreal. But the ability to run a team as a 19, 20-year-old guy surrounded by a bunch of veteran role players, that's not an easy thing to do. And then you take them to the playoffs. That's really, really big time. And now he's an OKC, getting to have a little more offensive responsibility, getting to, you know, take shots maybe last year with the Clippers he would have hesitated to take or just wasn't in his role to take. Now he's an OKC. OKC's got some solid guys around. Obviously, we've got Chris Paul, Steven Adams in the bunch, but Shea is part of the future for them. So they're going to let him really have freedom to expand his game. You're not really looking to be a playoff team. So you get a guy like Shea and you just let him try and develop his game, get as comfortable as he can, put him in as many you know, not difficult situations, but situations, you know, you want to put him in situations to succeed, but you also want to put him in situations that make him uncomfortable and help him grow for those later years. If this is who you want to be your point guard of the future. And I think it is. He, he, I love how he plays. He's just smooth. It's kind of an orthodox, but in, but like I said, in a smooth way, um, like I said, this is the youngins to watch. Definitely watch some OKC games and really focus on SGA because he is the real, real deal. John Morant obviously been impressive, 18 and 6 so far. Had 30 and 9 and the game saving block on Kyrie against the Nets the other night. Um, I mean, he he made a couple plays in that Nets game where I, I was blown away. Uh, it was the most rookie game ever. He played great. Uh, you know, had a bucket late in the fourth had the block to save it on Kyrie in the fourth, and then an OT threw the ball away on an out-of-bounds play, had a, a tough angle. Um, they pressured him really well, and, and he threw it away. And then, you know, the next time he gets involved in a play, it's the game-winning assist to Jay Crowder. He's a playmaker. So sometimes, yeah, he's going to make turnovers because when you're a playmaker, you're always trying to make a play. So, yeah, he's going to turn the ball over sometimes, but more than not, this guy's going to make something special happened. He had a scoop layup that I, I was so, the body control he showed in midair was so impressive. He's so athletic, but he's so creative with the ball in his hands. So it's like, and not saying he's Russ yet, obviously Russ is, you know, one of the greatest point guards the game's ever seen, but he's got Russ type athleticism. I don't know if he's quite that athletic, but he's got Russ like athleticism but he's a little smoother with the ball in his hand where Russ is so athletic, he's just at your head, going to the rim, attacking you. Jaw's a little smoother than that, but then when he gets to those places where the athleticism needs to take over, like at the rim, he really can show it. Uh, I, I think uh, it depends what Memphis does, what kind of stuff they put around him, but I don't know, man. This this guy, John Morant, 
could be the future of the point guard position in this league. I know it's super early. I'm not overreacting, but I'm just going off of what I've seen. He's played four games in the league. That's the entirety of his NBA career. And I think I think he looks really good. RJ Barrett. I've never been a huge RJ Barrett fan. I just it's nothing against him, just his game doesn't necessarily resonate with me. But he's been playing really well. 20.5 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 3.2 assists, two steals a game. Uh, from what I've seen so far, I've watched, you know, I haven't sat down and watched uh, a whole Knicks game, but I've watched, you know, a little bit. I watched them play the Spurs for a little bit. I've watched some RJ highlights. He's getting to the rim really, really well. He's stronger than I expected. Um, he's bumping with NBA guys down there. I mean, you know, he's what? He's a six seven guard. This is a big guard, and he's showing it using, using his size uh, to his advantage. The one thing that he's been doing that I didn't think he would do uh, it'll obviously cool off from what he's shooting at right now, but he's shooting the three at 46.7%. I didn't think he, he'd he figure out a three-point stroke at all throughout the course of his rookie year. I thought he would score and hit some shots, but I didn't think the three-point shot would would be moving along as fast as it is here. Um, so that's, that's a really good thing to see if you're a Knicks fan, that he's shooting it well. Because if RJ can consistently shoot three, uh, I'm going to be a much bigger RJ fan. I think, you know in today's climate, you got to shoot as a guard, especially an off guard, a scoring guard like RJ. But if he's shooting the three, well, I think he can really do that. And if he, like I said, if he can shoot the three, well, I think this is a guy that's a 20 point per game scorer probably his whole life. Now, how impactful is the, are those 20 points a game? We'll see. But he's, if he's putting up numbers like this, he's definitely going to be in that rookie of the year conversation. Devontae Graham, uh, he's going to definitely be the most random name on the list. And if you haven't been like really paying attention to the league so far, you probably have missed how good Devontae Graham's been. But he's averaging 18.7 points per game, 7.2 assists. He's shooting 53.6% from three. Uh, straight up, he's outplaying Terry Rozier, the big Charlotte Hornet signing of the summer. That was their big thing. I was optimistic about Rozier, but... Uh, Terry Rozier seems to be a guy that pretty much gives you what he's going to give you, whether he's starting or coming off the bench. Um, and Devontae Graham's been kind of taking some of his minutes late in those games. He's just, he's been too efficient to not play. He's making plays with the pass. He's knocking down shots. He's been, like I said, super efficient from the three. He's literally outplaying Rozier in pretty much every facet. He's scoring more, he's assisting more, and he's being more efficient. Um, this is his second year. He's taken a huge jump. Now, how much does he sustain that? We'll see. But this is a guy that, I mean, if he can stay anywhere near 18-7, and seven, I would imagine he probably runs away with the most improved player award, considering I don't think Ingram stays at around 27. But let's look up what Devontae Graham's stats were last year, um, just to give you guys the jump we've seen here in the early going. He's played four games this year. Um, last year he played 50 games or no, hold on. Sorry. The page is being a little janky here. Of course. Um, last year he played 46 games. Rather he averaged, where are we at here? He averaged 2.6 assists and 4.7 points. So he's jumped almost 14 points a game and a good five assists about that's a huge jump. Definitely, if he could stay near that, um, he'd be a great player of the year candidate. Usually those second-year guys struggle to win it because sometimes you think, oh, it's just their natural progression in their second year after figuring things out their rookie year. But with a guy like Devontae Graham that you know, pretty much from year one looked like, okay, he's just going to be maybe at best like a career backup kind of point guard. If he can jump into this type of thing, um, where he's putting up numbers like this, it's going to be really interesting. I don't think he'll keep it up just because I I think they're going to give, considering the money they paid Terry Rozier, they're going to give him a lot of opportunity, um, which I think eventually will kind of stunt what Graham is doing. Hopefully I'm wrong. I'd love to see a guy in Charlotte do something exciting. They're obviously not going to be good, but it'd be fun to watch him have a good year and just at least give us a consistent storyline to be interested in outside of Charlotte, uh, and I think Devontae Graham having an, you know, maybe that's just me. I don't know how many people are going to be truly interested in the plight of Devontae Graham, but I like seeing improvement. Um, I like seeing guys' skills get put to the test, and I think that's what he's been doing. So, um, you know, keep an eye out for Devontae Graham. 
Kendrick Nunn, 22, 3 and 3 and 2 steals. This is the the rookie for the Heat. I'm sure you guys have all heard about him. He's been lighting it up. Uh, he's a lefty. He can score it. He really, really can score it. Um, I'm just interested to see how his minutes play out once Jimmy Butler comes back. Um, you know, he's he's he plays more of the two, really. He's more of a scorer. So, you know, we'll see how that works. But in today's NBA, we see it's a lot more positionless. So a team with even a a Tyler Harrow, a Jimmy Butler, a Kendrick Nunn could maybe play all three of those guys at the same time, and that would still be fine. Um, you just go small, those kind of things. But I like what I've seen from him. Another guy that would have been on this list, I think, especially after his first game, uh, is DeAndre Ayton. He had, he had in his first game, he had 18 points, 11 rebounds, four blocks, and he shot 64% from the field. Unfortunately, he has received a 25-game suspension. Um, he took a supplement, they're saying. Uh, what Ayton's claiming is he didn't realize it was a banned substance. Uh, it's something I read up on it. It's something basically that can help with uh, recovery and can also help with weight loss. Um, the NBA Players Association is going to appeal the case for him. To me, from the research I've done, the best case for him either getting his his suspension lessened or you know removed is convincing whatever committee it is that looks into these things that he didn't know what he was taking. That's going to be his best bet. Um, I don't know if you'll be able to convince him of that, considering how much is put into these guys' diets during the offseason to claim you didn't know something you were putting in your body, I think is a hard thing to to prove. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll see it. Um, I'd like them to remove it, because I like what I've seen from Phoenix, and to have their, you know franchise center gone hurts the development i think of what they've been going through all right let's get into these are the teams that have surprised me so far first off i'll talk about the ones that have surprised me for the good and then i'll talk real quick about the ones that have surprised me for the bad not going to get too much into the ones that surprised me for the bad just because we're so early i think some things are just you know getting out the getting getting out the kings getting off the rust those kind of things but teams that surprised me in a good way uh, Got to start with Atlanta. 2-1. and one, They beat the Pistons by 17. Beat the Magic by 4. Only lost to the Sixers by 2. That was a really, really good back-and-forth game. A lot of fun to watch. A uh, couple points to talk about with the six, or with the, uh, with the Hawks. Trey Young's ridiculous. I already touched on that. Um, but he's ridiculous. He's definitely the engine of the whole thing. He's the motor. Uh, John Collins is 14-10 and 2 blocks. I don't see why he doesn't average pretty much close to that. Maybe a little down in the blocks, but I, I don't see why John Collins is not a 14-10 and 10 guy uh, and, you know, making an impact on the defensive end. DeAndre Hunter, Hunter and Jabari Parker both averaging 11.3 off the bench. They've got good role players in, in uh, Bembry, Herter, Alex Len, even though he was shooting way too many threes for my liking against Philly. You've got Evan Turner and Vince Carter off the bench. I think this is a team... I felt this way before it started. You guys heard me talking on the podcast before. I was excited about them, but I think they're ahead even of where I planned on them being. I think this is probably a playoff team from what I've seen so far. Obviously, they could you know take a dip, but I think at this point, they're a playoff team. Minnesota is 3-0. They beat Brooklyn, they beat the Hornets, and they beat the Heat. Cat is on a whole different planet right now. This is the thing we got to remember about Cat. What was it, maybe three years ago? He was voted by the GMs, the guy they would most want to build a franchise around. Now some things changed. The Jimmy Butler stuff kind of hurt his stock. It showed him being a little soft, those kind of things. But we got to remember, it doesn't take away from the level of talent Cat has. And so now if he's mentally in a good space, that could lead to wins. He has transformative abilities that can that can win basketball games. You've seen it by the numbers he's putting up, and you've seen it by the 3-0 record they've got. Wiggins is averaging 20 points, 6 boards, and 0.7 assists, and a like 13 PER. It's classic Wiggins. Putting up buckets, um, playing pretty... I don't know. He's so hard to judge because a lot of his stuff doesn't feel impactful. That being said, he had a great game the other night against the Heat where he had 16 in the fourth quarter and just completely took the game over. So he's very capable of doing that as well. But with Wiggins, it's all about consistency. 
Can you consistently do stuff like that and help your team win games? Will your numbers be put up in an impactful way? That's what I want to know about Wiggins. So far, 3-0, and yes. We'll see how it goes. I also like their other role players are getting solid production from Jeff T, uh, Covington, uh, Akogi, uh, Jake Lehman, Shabazz Napier. I mean, they've got a lot of good, solid role players. I think look out for Minnesota. I, I'm not going to say they're for sure a playoff team like I would with Atlanta just because they are in the West, but they're definitely interesting. Phoenix is 2-2, two and two, but I think they're, they've surprised me even more than a 2-2 two and two record because of how even the games they've lost, how close they've been. First off, they beat Sack by 29 in their opener. Just, just obliterated them, smacked them around, made every Sacramento fan I know real scared because I think this was the year they finally thought they were going to take a little bit of a leap getting that playoff race. Uh, obviously not looking great so far, but it's a long season. But they beat Sack by 29. Then they lost to Denver by one in overtime. Denver's the one of the only unbeaten teams left in the league. Then they beat the Clippers, who everyone up until that night thought for sure was the best team in the league so far. I still think they are, but, you know, you know, you lose, you lose. It's tough. And they lost, and they beat the Clippers by eight. Book scored 16 in the fourth and was talking that, that, uh, talking that real to Patrick Beverly, letting him know what was up. You can't guard me, and it's true. Pat Bev, I love you, but you can't guard him. Devin Booker's too good. Uh, then they lost to Utah by one, uh, and it took a Donovan Mitchell free throw with .4 seconds left to win the game. I watched that one last night. It was a great close. Um, I think with Phoenix, I think they got to find ways in the closing minutes, and I think this is just you know new coach them working out, of how to get book good open looks without necessarily having to just put the ball in his hand and let him go ISO. He's very capable of doing that. But I would like to see him maybe working off some more down screens, trying to get him some easier looks. You've got a great passer at the point guard spot in Rubio. I like how he's been playing. So, you know, use Rubio's great passing ability to get Book some easy looks. I think they will. I love what uh, what Monty's been doing with that team. They look very, very good so far. Um, really, really, this is the one that probably surprised me the most just because – they relatively have the same team they have last year. Um, you know, obviously Rubio, you know, you made some additions. But to me, I think the biggest difference is, is I mean, is coaching. You know what I'm saying? The Monty Williams being the coach of them now, I think, has really, really turned them around. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes throughout the course. We'll see how it goes throughout the stretch of time. But I think Monty Williams... I Phoenix is still not a playoff team. Let's not get carried away. They just don't have enough talent. But I think they're a team that can beat anyone on any given night now. And I think that slowly starts to build their culture, get them in the right direction. Um, I don't know how much... I could see Phoenix being a team that hangs around is decent for the first half of the season. Uh, you know, maybe book get some all-star consideration, those kind of things. And then when you see the writing on the wall, see you're not going to make the playoffs, then they try and tank for picks. That's kind of how I can see Phoenix's season working. Um, but I, like I said, I like what I've seen so far. Uh, Book's averaging 22, four boards, six assists. Kelly Oubre's averaging 20 points and six rebounds. Uh, who knew Kelly Oubre, Devin Booker was going to be the new duo, but they've looked very good so far. Spurs have impressed me, not because I didn't think they would be good, but because they've looked better, um, you know, than than I thought they would. Uh, they're three and zero. They beat the Knicks by nine, Wizards by two, and Portland by three. It's just the most. It's classic Spurs, steady diet of well-rounded. Everyone pitching in. They've got five guys in double figures: DeRozan, Aldridge, Bryn Forbes, Dejounte Murray, and Derek White. Uh, Murray's averaging like fourteen like eight and five or something like that. I mean, he looks really good coming back from the injury. He makes a huge difference for them. I like I like what I've seen with the Spurs. Um, but, you know, well, it's still early. I feel like a broken record. I know I keep saying that, but because I want to, and, and sorry if that's been annoying that I keep saying that, but I, I 
want to overreact and I want to just say all these things are what they are. I want to say, oh, you know, Dallas is 2-1. Dallas is going to the playoffs. No, we got we to gotta see how things play out. We got to see how tendencies build. We got to see, you know, who just starts hot, who – and it's funny because one of their – there's going to be a team – that we don't think anything of, and then with two months left in the season, they get hot and throw themselves in the mix. So there's always those kind of things, so you can't be prepared for everything. But I really like what I've seen from the Spurs so far. I think they're going to be tough to not see in the playoff picture in the West. But I also am having a tough time not seeing my my Dallas Mavericks. You know, I'm a Dallas boy now. I'm claiming them. <laughs> uh, they're 2-1. and one. They beat Washington by 8, New Orleans by 7, and then lost to Portland by 2. They look really good. Luca looks incredible. Porzingis looks really good. I already told you Luca's numbers, but Porzingis as the secondary guy is averaging 26.3, 5.7 boards, 3.3 dimes, 2.7 blocks. Um, obviously, scoring has not been an issue for Chris Stapps early on. He looks good coming back from the injury. One thing I'd like to see from him, I need a little more out of my 7-3 guy in the rebound department. I know you're contesting a lot of shots and knocking shots away, which is allowing other guys to get rebounds. I'm not saying you need to be 10 or 11 a game, but I need him probably, you know, at least eight rebounds a game. I need him to up that a little bit. I think he will. 3.3 dimes is great for him, and then obviously 2.7 blocks. Nobody's going to complain about that. My one concern for the Mavericks is who's your third guy and where are you getting your production from outside of Porzingis and Luka? Um, obviously, for them to win games, it's going to all be about Porzingis and Luka. I don't. My concern with them being a playoff team is there's going to be nights where at least one of those guys is off. If not, there could be a night where both of them is off. And if so, what guy do you have enough depth with your bench, with your role players to win you games when those guys can't get it going? And even on a night against good teams when both of those guys have it going, do you have enough firepower to keep up with the Los Angeles Lakers, with the LA Clippers, with you know the the Denver Nuggets, guys that have firepower across the board? I don't think they do, but I think Luka and Porzingis is, is a very good duo. I think it's better than a lot of duos of a lot of teams that might make the postseason. Um, but right now, I mean, DeLon Wright's kind of been their third guy. He's third in scoring. I would have expected that more from like a Tim Hardaway Jr. or even a Seth Curry. So I'm hoping one of those. Seth's been playing all right. Tim Hardaway struggled a little bit here. Um, I'm hoping he kind of picks it up because he's a guy that is capable, uh, as we've seen him do in other places, of you know, getting buckets. But I don't know if he'll do that here in Dallas with this group. Um, but for me, if I'm Dallas, my biggest concern is finding who's going to be my consistent third guy behind Luka and Porzingis. Teams that have surprised me in a bad way. Uh, obviously, the Warriors got their first win last night, but they've struggled. Um, Steph's averaging 24 and 6.7 dimes. I was expecting a little more of an explosion from him early on, but teams are really, really, you know, focused in on him as they should be. You, you can see the issue with the Warriors is, and people are, this is what people are doing. Wow, Steph, they're trying to act like Steph sucks because they're not winning games and he has Draymond Green, he has D'Angelo Russell with him, which is more star power than let's say a Russell Westbrook had in the year where he averaged the triple-double his MVP season. They're saying, well, Steph's team's way better because they have Draymond and they have D'Lo. That's fine. And once Clay gets back, I would definitely agree because Clay is so good. But you got to also look at it. Who are their role players? You're relying heavily, heavily on Damon Lee, Jordan Poole. <laughs> Amari spell, you know what I'm saying. I mean, you're you're relying on guys that that are are, and I'm not trying to take away from those guys. They're they're solid NBA players. You know, Jordan Poole's a rookie. They're decent, but to rely on those all those guys combined heavily, those guys can be a role player here or there. You know, they can fit into certain places, but they're not necessarily just about to be. You know the Golden State Warriors bench of the past that we're used to. That's just not going to happen. So I think it's hard for them to win games. Um, they, Like I said, they finally did win last night. I'm not going to overreact. I still like how they play. And at the end of the day, those things are really important. How you play matters um, in terms of stylistically. But we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it plays out here. Um, like I said, they had a good win last night over... Uh, who they beat last night. I didn't watch the Warrior game last night. 
over New Orleans. So, I mean, that's a solid win. Good for them. I think once they get a win, they'll kind of be able to get back on track a little more. Um, try and get a little bit of a rhythm. Draymond was obviously not happy. You could tell it really caught him off guard, the struggles they've had so far. Um, we definitely have to be concerned just because they are such a different team than we've seen. But we also need to cut them maybe even a little more slack than we cut other teams just because they do have so much talent. They have been such a good team for so long. And now the whole <laughs> genetic makeup of the team is so different that you need to give them some time to figure it out. I do think Steve Kerr is a good coach. We are in a world of overreaction here, people. Steve Kerr went to the finals, what, five straight years? And his team starts 0-2 and people start acting like he can't coach. I know he's had a lot of talent, but Steve Kerr can coach. Steph Curry's still great. They still have guys that can make plays. Just give them some time. I'm, I'm always going to lean on the side of caution with the Warriors of Let's not overreact. Caution in reactions with Golden State because they've got Hall of Famers. They've got a guy that's probably a Hall of Fame coach when it's all said and done. Shoot, Steve Kerr might – you might have to make Steve Kerr a Hall of Fame coach now just because he's won three finals, been to, you know, five of them. But I still got to see you get it done, Golden State. This is a new challenge, new task. Um, you know, no KD, no – no stacked bench, all those kind of things. So we're going to see how it plays out here. Uh, real quick, other teams, SAC 0-4, um, struggling. I'm hoping they turn it around. You guys know they were one of the teams I thought could make a run at a Western Conference playoff spot if someone, you know, someone else got cold. Uh, right now at this point, if I had to pick a team from the West I like to get in over that top eight, remember we talked about it last week, one of those storylines I'm most interested in is what – one of the main eight Western Conference teams we're all assuming to make it doesn't make it, or if they don't, who gets in? At this point, I would say Dallas is for sure the best bet the way they've looked, but I'm like I said, I'm concerned about Dallas's depth. Uh, I like Sack's team, but they're 0-4, and I really like what I saw from the Pelicans in terms of guys' development. I like the confidence Lonzo had been playing with, but they're not winning games either. They're 0-4. Uh, and then the one other one I have on here, just because of record, but I'm not concerned too much, uh, is Indiana. I think they just lost some games and stuff, but uh, getting Oladipo back will obviously be helpful. I like what Malcolm Brogdon's done early on with them fitting in. I just think they just need a little more time to kind of figure it out. Um, and that's the case for all these teams, one way or the other, good or bad. They all need time to figure it out. Uh, but those are my reactions just in terms of teams that surprised me. Uh, you guys saw I don't have every team that I think is good on there. Denver's 3-0. I didn't have them on there. These are teams more that... They exceeded or or underachieved on my expectations I had for them in the first week. Uh, teams that I'll go over it real quick again. Teams that impressed me: Atlanta, Minnesota, Phoenix, uh, San Antonio, Dallas. And teams that surprised me in a bad way would be uh, the Warriors, the Kings, the Pelicans, and the Pacers. Uh, today we'll end the podcast. Um, I didn't want to end it on such a negative note with all the teams that have, you know, underachieved and have disappointed me. I didn't want to end the podcast there. So we're going to do my top five ball handlers of all time list. I'll start off with the honorable mention. Um, got And here's, here's what I need to make clear about this list. These are the guys I think are the best dribblers, the best handle package. They, they were the, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm putting them in here because they're legendary for their dribbling. It means I think in this order, these are the best ball handlers. Skill set, they have the best dribbling abilities. Um, it's not about being iconic. So my honorable mention, Pistol Pete, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Tim Hardaway. See, a lot of people would have Tim Hardaway probably top three in the handles. I know his his the UTEP two step is legendary that he did, but I'm not saying he's a top five ball handler. He's in there. He's right in that discussion. But I think there's five guys that overall maybe they don't have a signature move the way Hardaway did, but I think their overall handle package is better. Uh, another guys on the honorable mention Chris Paul and another guy that I think is is really could be in the discussion for a top five that I think a lot of people wouldn't consider is Kemba Walker. 
Go sit down and watch a Kemba Walker highlight tape and tell me this guy isn't one of the shiftiest ball handlers you've ever seen. He's made a lot of people fall. He gets a lot of separation. He's been a very good NBA player at 5'11". You don't do that playing the point guard position unless you handle the ball the way Kemba So he's right in that discussion. Um, the reason I'm talking about him the most out of all my honorable mention guys is because I feel like that's the one I would have to defend the most. I get Pistol Pete's from way back in the day. Uh... And I said I wasn't going to put people in here for, you know, just iconic. But this dude, he's he's the grandfather of all these guys. He He's the one that really got, you know, behind the back, behind the back passes, through the leg. He was the one that really revolutionized getting fancy with it, where back then people were looking at him like, dude, that's stupid, that's silly, it's, it's all those extras. And now you're seeing the way guys play today, and you're like, yeah, he was kind of the, the forefather of all that. All right, let's get into my top five. At number five, I've got Steph Curry. Um, Steph has obviously, you know, any of these guys, I feel like if you wanted to say they've got the best handle I've ever seen, I'm not necessarily going to sit here and argue, but we are doing a top five list, and it's the five greatest ball handlers that have played in the NBA. I'm just not going to, you know, I'm not going to just throw out five. I'm going to make it in order, but I want you guys to understand I'm going to get nitpicky. The reason I have Steph 5, I think Steph's handle, and this isn't a bad thing, but just when we're talking strict handle, I think a lot of his handle stuff does benefit from guys having to overreact to how good of a shooter he is. You have to be so on your toes and so ready to jump and contest any shot that any kind of hezzy or move that resembles anything of him trying to get to a three-point shot, you have to overreact, which allows him to really operate a different way. Um, that being said, he's very good splitting pick and rolls. He's very good. Um, you know, he shifts guys, that kind of thing, but I don't necessarily think Steph has the kind of handle where you toss it to him on the wing and you let him dance and just shake someone up. He can do that, but I think he's best off movement, off running off screens. And then his handle's so good off of those actions. He really benefits from that. Number five, uh, number four, I have Jason Williams. White Chocolate, one of my favorite highlight tapes of all time is the Jason Williams highlight tape. Um, his ball handling is not only his ball handling, but also his passing gets mixed in because he could do it all so creatively and so different. Now, I'm not saying I took his passing into account because that's not what this discussion is, but you got to think Jason Williams was was trying elbow passes out in, in rookie, sophomore, all, all-star games. He was throwing, I mean, he was doing ridiculous stuff off the dribble. So a lot of these guys, you think about their off the dribble into their scoring. Jason Williams could do all that off the dribble stuff into these creative passes as well. Um, that being said, he was shifty, crossing Gary Payton over, crossing, you know, I mean, he he has some legendary crossover. He has some legendary moves. Um, he's the the less he's the least of the five in terms of his overall career accomplishments, where he ranks all time. He's probably the not that he was a bad player, but he's probably the worst of my five greatest ball handlers, which almost is more impressive because it's like your overall skill set didn't make you not recognize as, oh, he's also a great ball handler, right? With Steph, it's like Steph does everything so well. Ball handling is one part of that. Jason Williams could do a lot of things well, but he's really looked at as one of the greatest ball handlers of all time. That was his skill set he was really bringing to the table. Number three, I've got Jamal Crawford. Uh, I know a lot of you guys, I mean, he's a six man, he's great, whatever, you guys might not think, you're sitting here, a lot of you probably are sitting, going Jamal Crawford over Tim Hardaway, over Chris Paul, yes, I've been a Clippers fan, I've watched a lot of Jamal Crawford, there's not a lot of dudes that can dance with the rock like Jamal Crawford, there's just not, okay, this dude can do it, and he's not that fast, he's not that quick, but he still somehow gets so much space and separation, and that's because his handle's elite. So yeah, Jamal Crawford is is a top five ball handler. I've got him three. Uh, number two, I've got AI. I know a lot of you guys would have him at one. I get it. Um, to me, AI, he did. He had an elite handle. Don't get me wrong. He had a whole handle package, but it really his moves really came down to that wide cross. When I train kids, I talk about when we work on that wide crossover, it's the AI cross. So he more had that signature move, and that was deadly. You couldn't stop an Allen Iverson crossover. You really, really couldn't. But it's still just the one move. And if there wasn't this guy who I have at one, AI would 
to me be the greatest ball handler of all time. For a large portion of my life, I believed he was. But this dude, Kyrie Irving, is a wizard. It's a whole different level of ball handling. There's not a single signature move that any of these guys on the list have that Kyrie doesn't have mastered as good, if not better, than they did it. And he has all of the moves. So it's a bag, and Kyrie's got every dang move you could have in the bag. A lot of these guys are really good, real shifty. They had go-to moves, that kind of thing. Kyrie can do everything with a dribble. And, and that's hard to explain. I look at it, uh, I do a lot of stuff. I love skill development. That's one of my favorite things about basketball. I know I like talking about it, but my favorite thing of all time with basketball is skill development. The skills and drills side of it. That's what I love. Trust me. There's not a move that skill development trainers, coaches, that kind of thing, work on with their players that Kyrie doesn't really have perfected. Whether that be from the footwork of the dribble moves to the soft hands to the feel of the ball, all those things, Kyrie has all of that. And I'm sorry, but I'm not hearing it. This is the greatest ball handler of all time. I'll understand if you want other guys at one, but I'm taking Kyrie. And if we're having a debate on who the greatest ball handler is, I think my argument for Kyrie is stronger than anyone. I think the Clips, if you put all these guys' best dribble highlights up, for if you could take two minutes of their greatest dribbling highlights ever, I think, I think Kyrie would have the best ones. And I think Kyrie would benefit from going longer because he does he's doing incredible stuff every night i just think ai a lot of ai stuff was either between the legs or uh, you know the wide cross or Kyrie. it's drop crosses it's behind the backs it's in and outs it's sham gods it spins through two people and not saying ai couldn't do stuff like that and i think ai is probably all time the bet ai not probably ai is the better player all time over Kyrie. but from a strictly ball handling standpoint Kyrie's the best so real quick, to go back through my list, I have Kyrie at one, I have Allen Iverson at two, Jamal Crawford at three, Jason Williams at four, Steph Curry at five, and my honorable mention was Tim Hardaway, Chris Paul, Kemba Walker, Isaiah Thomas, OG Isaiah Thomas, not current day Isaiah Thomas, and Pistol Pete Maravich. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This has been episode 35 of At The Buzzer. Um, please like, retweet, share. Uh, anything you can do to help spread the word about at the buzzer uh, tune in next week is I will be talking about um, you know more of the storylines that have occurred more of the uh, we'll be getting a little deeper into the season by next week so I'll be able to talk a little bit more about tendencies like I said I'm giving myself closer to 20 games before I start saying anything is for sure but by this time next week I should be able to give you guys a little more of a certainty about how I'm feeling these teams are looking like they're going to play for the entire season. Uh, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, can't wait to get back to it next week. Uh, this has been At The Buzzer with Gary Niffen.